Just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Colossae and also the churches that were in that area in modern-day Turkey. And so this letter was intended to be circulated throughout the churches and read to the churches. And remember how this letter actually came about. The Apostle Paul, where's the Apostle Paul writing from? From prison in prison in Rome. He's in chains. He's in prison in Rome. And all of a sudden, this dude comes and shows up in prison, and his name was Epaphras. And apparently, it seems like to me that Epaphras was the pastor of the church of Colossae. And so he comes and he begins to share with Paul this amazing work that God's doing um, in the church, the churches there in Colossae, that by God's grace, by his spirit, this wonderful work is going on. And And that is something to be excited about, by the way, to be thankful about. I'm so thankful for our church and what God is doing and grateful. It's by his grace, by his spirit. And so Epaphras is sharing. Paul's super stoked. He's so excited to hear this, to hear the good news. But also Epaphras shared something else with Paul. And what he shared with him was there's a little problem in the churches, specifically the Colossian church. And so false teaching, winds of doctrine were beginning to blow through the church. And um, false teachers, heretics were bringing their heresies and bringing a bunch of junk into the body of Christ. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole... A little bit of leaven, a little bit of, 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 of corruption begins to inflate or expand and begins to touch a lot of people. And so Epaphras is concerned, Paul's concerned as well. And so Paul writes this letter to a people, to a group of people he's never met before. He loves them. He knows the the trajectory of their life, the trajectory of the church, that if they don't do something about this false teaching, that church can detonate, can get divided and people being hurt. So what does he do? He loves them enough to share the truth and love with them. He writes them this letter. And you guys know the first two chapters were all about Jesus and what he's done for us. Isn't it good to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done? We need to be reminded sometimes because, listen, God is always the initiator and we are the responders to who he is and to what he's done. Because if you're joining us for the first time here in chapter 3, the second half of the book is all application pretty much. And so we are learning how to apply, how to apply um, these things in our lives as Christians in light of what God's done for us. It's not like, hey, do this, do that, do the other thing. No, in light of what Jesus has done for us, here's the correct response. Here's what your life should look like now as a Christian. And Paul is trying to explain to us how the Christian life is supposed to be different. There's to be a change in our lives, Correct. There's a change when God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in us, there's going to be change. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has has come. And so there's this new life that is birthed within us. This new life, the old man, the old life, we're to reckon dead, to crucify the old man, right? To put him to death, to deny the self. Take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. And this new life within us needs to be feed, fed, feeded, fed. (laughs) One of those verbs. Needs to be fed, nourished, given opportunities to grow. And so we're to put off the old deed, the old man, 
and the deeds, the stuff we used to be engaged in before we got saved, and we are to put on the new man, to put on the new man and walk in the newness of life and the things that God desires us to walk in. And it's so cool because God gives us not only the desire now, but the will, but also the power to do it. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. If you remember in Luke's gospel, if you're taking notes, you can look at it later. Luke 24, I think it's right around verse 49. Jesus was giving instruction to his disciples about waiting in Jerusalem to, to, be, to be endued with power from on high, it says. To be given power to be Jesus' witnesses, to power, to power to walk with the Lord, and to, to not only to witness, but that our lives would be a witness of the resurrected Jesus Christ. You guys with me? But what's so interesting is that word endued means to be clothed with power from on high. So the Lord has power to give us, to clothe us in order to walk in the things that he wants us to walk in because Paul is using this familiar um, imagery of putting off and putting on, putting off the old stuff, putting on the new, putting off like, a, like clothes that don't fit or that are dirty, getting rid of them, and putting on things that do fit in our lives. Well, let's pick up this morning, put off the stuff that ruins your life, Put on the things that will enrich your life is the idea. Chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 12. Sound good? All right. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So therefore, in light of who you are, and notice what Paul reminds us, number one, that we are the elect of God. That means that God chose us. Well, do, amen. Thank you. So does God choose us or do we choose him? What's the answer, pastor? Yes. Well, that's not much of an answer. Well, the Bible teaches both. That he chooses us, but we have to choose him. There's a, there's a beautiful balance throughout the scripture of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. How do you figure it out? How do you try? I don't try to figure it out. Because God didn't ask me to figure it out. He asked me to believe and trust him. There's things about Tanya I don't understand. Tanya's my radical Christian babe, by the way. I don't understand how her pancreas works or the synapses, in it, but I still love her with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Same way with the Lord. There's some stuff I don't understand. There's still stuff I'm waiting for further revelation from the Lord. But that doesn't stop me from believing and loving him and trusting in him. And so we are... This is something that we should rejoice in. It feels good to be chosen, doesn't it? You guys ever been like in a group of people and you were the last one chosen on the team? Like you had to go to that team? <laughs> or you've been dumped? Have you ever dumped? It feels bad. It doesn't feel good, does it? It hurts when you're not chosen. Let me just remind us this morning, Paul reminds us, God chose you and that ought to make a difference in your life. Number two, he says, we are what? The elect of God and holy. That means you are clean. 
You are pure in God's sight because of Jesus and what he has done for you. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God's very righteousness has been imputed to your account. Well, what does that mean, imputed to your account? It also means that you have been robed with the righteousness of God. I like that. That, that works for me, the imagery a little bit better. In other words, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know what that means for us? That means there's no need to be plagued by guilt, condemnation, shame. Man, no need to feel like you don't measure up. It's beautiful. He declares us righteous, not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what he's done for us. And we've simply put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. It takes away the stress. It takes away the pressure of trying to measure up, of trying to, 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 to do what's right always in God's sight. No, I stand rightly before God because of Jesus. Amen? Beloved. You, what does beloved mean? Real simple. Just break the word down. You be loved. You be loved. You're loved with an everlasting love. God takes pleasure in you. No, no amens. The most important person in the universe loves you this morning. God is love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It is unconditional. It is not based upon your performance or your goodness or anything else. His love is constant towards you and towards me. That should have a transforming effect on our lives as well. Shouldn't it? The love of God. I mean, think about it, dudes. When you first fell in love with your babe, you remember you took a bath, you got your hair, combed your hair, right? You, you, you've now turned to face the one you love, and there's no expense that you, wouldn't, that you wouldn't pay. There's nothing you wouldn't do because you've turned to fall in love with that person. You love them so much, Correct? You'd, you'd save up your money and take them on, you know, Whataburger, or find a nice <laughs> night out in the town. <laughs> because of love. Lo listen, love is a powerful motivator, is it not? And so Paul says, since you are new people, since you are different, since you are a number one draft pick, since you've been set apart, made distinct, since you stand rightly before God, since you're set apart for God and His special purposes, since you are loved unconditionally, since God takes pleasure in you, what's He say? Put on, and it's these verbs throughout this, throughout this section, put on is a verb, and it's continually, habitually, progressively, as a lifestyle, put on, be clothed with, Put on as your spiritual apparel, what's the first thing? Tender mercies. Do you guys like mercy? Mercy's not getting what you deserve. Aren't you glad that the Lord has a new batch of mercies every morning waiting for you? His mercies are new each and every morning, correct? Waiting for you, waiting for me. It feels good to get mercy, doesn't it? It feels good to give mercy, too, and we should be giving mercy. But here's the thing. Look at the, look at the, the word before it, tender mercies. Because we can sometimes give people what they don't deserve, but it's not very tender. Tender is doing it in a way that's kind, that's gracious, is the idea. And so with gentleness, giving something, something to someone they don't deserve with, with kindness, 
is the idea. And then kindness is the next word. Kindness, just being nice, not being rude, not being a jerk. You know how long, far that goes with people? It's just being nice, and it's in response to what the Lord has done for us. Don't you like when people are nice? Does it ever stand out to you when people are nice? It's, it stands out, doesn't it? It does. It shows a difference in our lives when we are nice to people. And not just that, he says, put on humility, lowliness of mind, not all prideful and showy. You don't need to be the center of attention. It's an accurate assessment of who I am, an honest assessment of who I am, and an honest portrayal of who I am. Not phony. There's humility. There's realness. There's genuineness. Meekness is strength under control. It's you could have the ability to snap on someone, but you don't. It's strength under control. Jesus said about himself, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And so when we, when we walk in gentleness and lowliness, we're walking in the Lord's footsteps the same way he does with us. Long-suffering. What's long-suffering? Just think about the word. Suffers long. And this word suffers long speaks about enduring with difficult circumstances, hard circumstances. And I know there are some of you here this morning that you are dealing with hard and difficult circumstances. Can I encourage you to continue to look to the Lord? Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You come, you come to Jesus and you look to him. That allow him to shoulder that burden. And, and you know what? You can share too with people here that would love to pray for you. That would love to, to, to shoulder that burden as well in prayer. Long-suffering is patient with circumstances. And then look at the next verse. Bearing with one another. That's patient with who? With others. With difficult people. So you got di- long-suffering, difficult circumstances you're enduring. <laughs> Bearing with one another is dealing with... You guys ever deal with difficult people? None of you? Like 10% of the room? Maybe you're the difficult... No, no, no. No, 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 no. Sorry. Bad pastor. Bad pastor. (laughs) Patient with one another. And this is not... Listen, this is with one another in the body, in the church. This is not... I mean, we should be patient with people in the world... We shouldn't get all like, all like bent out of shape and tweaked seeing what people are doing in the world. Why? Because they're blind. They're dead in their trespasses. They don't know any better, just like us, correct? Were you guys not the same way? Well, I grew up in the church my whole life, and there was a time you were super selfish. It was all about you. But the people in the world, they're blind. They're dead. They need Jesus. Jesus died for those people just like he died for you and for me. But he's specifically talking about within the body of Christ, bearing with one another. The difficult people that God allows in our lives. Do you know he allows those people into our lives for a reason? You're like, yep, that's why I'm here, Pastor, just for you, man. You're a difficult person. I know, I know that. And And you know what the Lord uses uses our lives together to do what? To iron sharpening iron. We're being fitted together. And when we receive, when we receive one another and, and bear with one another, the Lord is able to work out those things in our lives. Because a lot of times when we're seeing difficult something in someone else, 
guess who the Lord's, what's the Lord trying to show us? That's you, buckaroo. That little speck you see, that little sawdust piece, that's just like the big old two by four. You just got a whole lot more than that dude does. And so you give it to the Lord. So how do we bear with one another? Look at the next part of the verse. Bear with one another. Forgiving one another. I choose to forgive, to pardon. I choose to give grace, to freely extend grace and kindness. If anyone has a complaint against another. What's a complaint? I'd like to file a complaint, Pastor. You don't know about this person. I've got a... What's a complaint? A grumble, grievance. I want to blame someone for something. I found fault in someone. That's a complaint, isn't it? What else? I got a beef with someone. Is that right? A beef? I got a beef with I got a beef with that guy. That gal. A charge, an accusation. You if you have a complaint against someone this morning, what are we to do with it? Tell the pastor? Tell the pastoral staff, go viral. What does it say? Look what it says. Even as Christ forgave you, so you should think about doing. Must, you all, you must also do. So the question is, we must forgive the same way. How did Jesus forgive you? How did Jesus forgive you? He died on the cross, absolutely. But the Bible says that our sins and our lawless deeds, he will remember no more. He's forgiven all of... If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ this morning, your sins are forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. So how am I to forgive? He says the same exact way, doesn't he? I'm to forgive. Otherwise, you're going to be in bondage, man. We talked about this last week. Tiniest prison cell, your own skin. Holding on to unforgiveness. It turns into bitterness. That person has you enslaved. When you, and it doesn't say forgive if you feel like it. Oh, I, feel, I don't feel like forgiving them, man. Does he say if you feel like it? He says you must also do in light of the debt that Jesus paid on your behalf in light of your sins being forgiven by him fully and completely you are to forgive he says the same exact way it's hard sometimes isn't it can I can I encourage you if you're having a difficulty this morning bring that to Jesus ask for forgiveness from him because you're being unforgiving but then say Lord help me Help me to free. Just like Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And you choose to do that whether the feelings come or not. Feelings may come for that person later on, but they may not come at all. But you know you've done what's right in God's sight by choosing to forgive. Are you with me this morning? Love, the Bible says, love holds no record of wrongs. If I'm holding a record of wrongs, I can't love the way the Lord wants me to or has called me to, or I can't represent a God of forgiveness and of grace and of love if I'm an unforgiving person. Does that make sense, you guys? And so he goes on in verse 14, but above all these things, above all these things, what's most important, 
Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. But above all, what does it mean to be above all these things? What's most important? It's interesting. One translation says, and upon all these things. It's kind of like you're putting on the tender mercies. You're putting on the humility. You're putting on the kindness. You're putting on the forgiveness. You're putting on the bearing with one another. And then on top of all this, you got like this big old jacket, this big old overcoat of love is the idea. Above all these things, be clothed continually with love. And there's four Greek words for love, right? Eros, which is sensual or erotic sexual love. There's storge, which is family love, love within a family unit. And then there's phileo love. What's phileo? City of Philadelphia, brotherly, brotherly love, right? And then there's agape. And that's divine love. And I love this definition. It's an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. You know God is unconditionally committed to you and me? We are imperfect people. Unconditional is kindness, his care. His, his love comes with no strings attached. By this... By this, 1 John, if you're taking notes, 1 John 3.16, by this we know love. How do we know love? That he gave his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Again, Jesus, the initiator, he showed us what love is. You never have to guess about God's love. All you need to do is take one look back to the cross to see his love demonstrated for us. And then he's asking us, in light of that, He says, you also ought to lay down your life for the brethren. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Listen, God's word is super clear about love. And you can tell, John tells us in his first epistle, you can tell whether you are a Christian or not by whether you love people or not. You can tell whether you love God or not by how you love people. Because Jesus said, if you, if you say you love God and you don't love your brother, man, there's a problem. There's a disconnect. You can't, you can't come in and, and, and pray, praise the Lord, I love you, Lord. I can't stand that guy over in the second row. He's sitting in my seat again. You know what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't work. There's a problem. There's a disconnect there. How can you say you love God who you can't see when you're not loving your brother that you can see, John says. If we love the Lord, we're going to love people. There's a change that happens in our lives. Did any of you, any of you guys experience that when you got saved? It was like, man, what, what is this? This is weird. I, I really care about people now. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's the Lord. He fills you with his love. And notice... By the way, it says, which is the bond of perfection. In other words, love is the super glue that holds it all together. Love is what closely joins us together. Didn't Jesus say, you'll know my disciples by their, by their what? By their love for who? For one another. He authorized the whole world to look at our lives And judge us whether we're legit or not by the way that we love one another and care for one another. 
In fact, that word perfection speaks of maturity and growth. Love for one another is the true measure of Christian growth and maturity. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Love is the the gauge, the true gauge of whether or not we are growing and maturing in our walk. You guys remember the, the Corinthians? You guys remember the Corinthians? The church, Paul writes that letter to them. It's right after Romans. You guys remember that letter? Before 2 Corinthians, there's 1 Corinthians. How were they? They were jacked up church, weren't they? Sexual immorality going on, getting drunk at the communion table. The believers were suing one another, going to the court to sue one. You guys remember all, the, all these issues? And Paul was the one that planted that church. I'm, I'm so grateful for Paul. He's like, he didn't like say, you know, I'm done with them, forget. I'm not going to let them just destruct. But he writes a letter to them. And they were a gifted church. And they were using their spiritual gifts. And, and it was, a lot of it was out of control using their spiritual gifts. And a lot of times people equate someone using their spiritual gift with maturity. And Paul said, listen, you guys are like babies. You're carnal. Where there's fighting, where there's envy, where there's strife. You're acting like mere men. You're acting like little children. And Paul boiled it down to 1 Corinthians 13. Whatever you do, if love is not at the center of it, it's worthless. It's the only church where Paul had to define what love is and what love isn't. You guys know that chapter, right? Normally you hear it at weddings. It was written to a church that, man, they needed to be taught again what love really is. And it is a decision or not um, that if I'm going to live a life of love. Love is so powerful and love is what Christianity is all about. And if love is not observable in your life, there's a problem this morning. And love is a fruit. Is love a fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5. Jesus said, abide in me, be connected to me, and you will bear much what? Bear much fruit. So fruit is the, is the, the natural growth of being connected to Jesus. And so if there's a lack of love in our lives, it's a warning light, you guys. It's a warning light. Either you really have never established a connection with God or... Or something's wrong in your relationship with Jesus this morning. And again, awesome time to say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm not growing in this area. Would you help me? Lord Jesus, I, I'm just, that love is not flowing and growing in my life. And you come to Jesus. That's where revival always starts is coming back to him. Coming to the Lord Jesus. Coming to the feet of the Lord. And admitting it. Lord, I'm not loving people around me like I should. It's not happening. I know I love you. You've set me free. You've given me a fresh start, but this is not happening. And you come to the Lord and you ask him, and you know what he's going to do? He's going to do a marvelous work in your life. And then you step out and you do that. And so there may be a clog in the flow this morning. The love that he shed abroad in our hearts, it's not flowing out. There's a clog. Let him remove that clog this morning. And so walking in love, look what it says, is the bond. It binds us together. And so... It connects us together. It holds it all together. It's a demonstration of our maturity, our growth. And so he goes on to say, verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Do you guys like God's peace? Isn't God's peace awesome? 
So we have peace with God through Jesus Christ when we surrendered to him, right? There's peace with God. And then there's the peace of God. Paul talked about this in connection with prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Have you experienced that in prayer and in your life? The peace comes before the answer prayer, doesn't it? It's beautiful. There's a calm. And before the solution comes, the Lord gives us his peace. And peace is a fruit of the Spirit too, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? Peace should be a fruit of our relationship with Jesus. And so from our connection with him, we have a calm. We know God is God. We know he's sovereign. Do you believe that this morning he's in control? Does God make mistakes? Never. He doesn't make mistakes. He's in control. Does he know what he's doing? Does he know what he's doing in your life? He does, doesn't he? He's working all things together for good of those that love him and of the called according to his purpose, right? He's begun a good work in you. He's going to finish that good work. We know how, do we know how the story ends, by the way? Revelation? You know, in the end, we win. If you, in a few weeks, we're going to go through Revelation. You'll, you'll hear all about it. I mean, do you know where you're headed? We know where we're going. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing a place for you and me right now in the Father's house. We, that should bring us peace in our hearts. We know God is in control. We know he's rescued us and saved us, given us a fresh start. We know he's with us. That brings us peace. And so it says here, so let God's peace continually rule where? In your hearts. And that word rule means to act as an umpire or an arbitrator or a referee. You guys ever play sports without a referee or an umpire? You guys ever play, play like sports with no ref? Or you can hack people, foul them, and, and get away with it, right? I didn't foul you. Yeah, you did. it's chaos, isn't it? It's a mess. Even, even with umpires and refs, it can be challenging. <laughs> Listen, God's peace is the perfect umpire. The perfect umpire. That's what that word rule means. So what throws the flag in our lives? Or what blows the whistle in our lives? What calls out or safe in our lives? What is the alarm that goes off that lets us know these things? It's God's peace, you guys. God gives us this sense of calm, a sense of everything's going to be okay when things look jacked up. I know God and I know, therefore I know that things are going to work out because my life is in his hands. My time is in his, my times are in his hands. And so in our lives and in our decision making, God's peace, please listen, God's peace will act as an indicator of whether or not something is right and correct or not. His peace. I should be cognizant continually as to whether I am at peace or not in my life. Am I at peace or am I stressed out? Listen, is stress good for you? Is anything good come from stress? 
The peace lets us know that God is working in our lives. Stress will wipe you out, won't it? And listen, this morning, you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and be worked up, anxious, and stressed out at the same time. Are you with me? This is like, this is like so crucial. If you are, listen this morning, if you're all worked up and stressed out, um, it's, a, it's an indicator that something's off. The whistle's being blown. They, what's it in soccer? They give the yellow card. It's just a warning, right? The yellow card's going, this morning, if you're stressed out, worked up, yellow card right here. Because the peace of God is to be the referee, the umpire in our lives. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, abiding in Jesus, peace is going to be flowing and growing. Peace should be the rule and not the exception in our lives. And God, I love this, because God provides beautiful protection and beautiful direction and guidance for us in this life. He's given us His Word. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us prayer. And He's given us his peace as well. And that's beautiful. And I need to make a comment though. God's peace will never contradict his word. Does that make sense? God's peace will never contradict his word. Why do I say that? Because there's people that come to me and say, dude, I got God's peace. I'm living with my girlfriend, man. And I got, I mean, you can't, I'm, that's not wrong. I got peace about it. And, and I would say, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> <laughs> in love. <laughs> I would say, well, what does the word say, bro? <laughs> you're living in fornication. You know that. You know. You've just, you've just, what you're doing is you're desensitized to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. We, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. And then it's tough to hear his voice, man. You know what I'm saying? And people say, they have, I, I've got peace. I, you know what? I'm going to uh, cheat on my taxes this year, and i got peace about it because, you know, the government's ripping me off, and they're doing bad stuff with the money anyway. Dude, that's, that's robbery, bro. You're stealing. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to what God what is God's, man. Correct? But i got peace about it. You ever heard that? You guys have heard that, haven't you? Maybe you even said that. But the word, his peace will not contradict the word. I'm seeing some, yeah, amen? Okay, this is like crucial. And so God's peace is to continually, habitually, progressively as a lifestyle be governing us steering us. And then notice the second part of this verse. He says, to which also you are called in one body. And so peace is what we are called to in one body. So who's the body of Christ? The church. That's us. We're all the body. Who's the head? Jesus is the head. There should be, should there be peace in the body? Aren't you glad that coming here, it's a place of peace? I love that that you can come to our church and there's peace. <laughs> Listen, how, how careful are you with your body? Do you take care of your body? Are you pretty careful with it? I don't know. <laughs> Just do my thing, ma'am. You don't take like a roofing hammer and say, that thumb's ugly. <laughs> 
correct? You're laughing, you know what I'm talking about? We, are very, we pay very careful attention to our bodies. What we put in, right? We get our hair cut, nails done, right? You get your nails done or whatever. You cut your nails, yeah. We're body parts, and we should, we should take care of one another and love one another. We have peace to give. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus, didn't Jesus say something like that? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. When Jesus sent his disciples out, two by two, he said, you have peace to give. Do you know you have peace to give this morning? Brother or sister, you have peace to give. Not, hey, I'm going to bring drama into this person's life. You got peace to give them, to bring them wherever you go this Christmas season, into your family's house, maybe unbelievers. You have peace to bring there. Why? Because you know the Prince of Peace and He's living in your heart. And He wants them to come to know Him as well. But peace is to mark our lives as Christians. If you have no peace with others, maybe, you know what, maybe you don't have peace with God. Or maybe you're not, your connection is messed up. You're abiding. If, you're, if you don't have peace with others, all, all you do is con- cause constant strife and difficulty and contention. Man, it may not be others. It may be you. Blessed are the peacemakers, not those that win the fight. We just learned on Wednesday night, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up strife. We have peace to give. And can I just remind us too that we are not the, um, you're not the umpire. The peace of God is the umpire. You are not the umpire. Because you know what we can start doing? Start throwing flags on people. Blowing the whistle on people. Criticizing people. Telling people what to do. Rather than loving and building them up and encouraging them in the faith. That's what we're called to do. And if you understand what God has done, who you are in him, there's no reason we should not reflect these things in our lives. And then what does he say at the end of verse 15? Be, what's your Bible say? Be thankful continually, habitually, progressively as a lifestyle to be giving thanks, to be grateful. Are you guys grateful for the Lord this morning? It is, it is good to give him thanks and praise, amen? Is he insecure? Like he's Jones and you've got to give me thanks and praise? Listen, being thankful is good for you and I. Because it reminds us of who the Lord is and what he's done. Listen, everything we have, every good and perfect gift has come from him. Everything good is from him. All the mistakes are mine. And I can thank him for all the good stuff. Even the messes. Because he's going to work through the messes, isn't he? He's going to work through the junk. And so Thanksgiving changes our perspective on things too. When we're praying, right? In everything with prayer and supplication. With Thanksgiving. Lord, I don't know how this is going to work out. My job is sketchy. I got more month than money, but Lord, I thank you because you told me if I seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you'll take care of me. I'm going to thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do. 
And what do you do? You gain perspective of the whole situation. You realize who's in control. Your life is in, is in his hands. He didn't bring you out of Egypt to leave you in the wilderness. He wants to bring you and I into the promised land where we're walking in the Spirit and experiencing the work of the Spirit and experiencing the blessing of Him keeping the, His promises to us in our lives. And He takes care of us and provides. And so thanksgiving is a component of prayers connected with peace. Listen, um, what about being thankful for others? Are you guys thankful for others? Have you told the Lord thank you? Listen, would you rather hang out with people that complain and gripe or people that are thankful? A or B? B was thankful. <laughs> Listen, complaining divides people, doesn't it? You see someone you know, all they do is they're going to vomit on you with their complaints. What do you typically do? I got something to do over here. But we, maybe it's a good idea to press in and say, hey, what can we be thankful for? Let's thank the Lord right now together. Let's pray and thank him. Diffuse that bomb before it explodes on you, before you get detonated with junk. Complaining divides. It pushes us away. And when you are continually thankful, it is tough to be critical, sin-sniffing, and fault-finding. When you are continually thankful, it is tough to be pulled away from someone or something. Husbands and wives, if we're continually thankful for our spouses, it's hard to get pulled away from them. We're continually thankful for Jesus. It's hard to get pulled away from him. When you know the debt you've been forgiven, thanking the Lord should come naturally. Do you ever look at God's work in your life and say, thank you, Lord? I know I'm not what I should be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. Oh, God, thank you. I know I got some growing up to do, Lord. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Shape away, mold away. How about, are you thankful for God's work in other people's lives? Not just for other people, but God's work in their lives. It's like, uh, like I look at our church, and, and some of y'all, it's like, man... Like the growth, and some of you don't even, maybe not even see it in your life spiritually. It's like, oh my word, Lord, thank you. Now I understand what Paul would say. Oh God, thank, I thank you for you, God. I'm thankful always for you guys. The work that God's doing is amazing. Are we thankful for the work that God is doing in our lives? Well, we got, well, Jesus takes note of our thanks, doesn't he? Does Jesus take note of our thanks? Remember the lepers, 10 lepers? Jesus is cruising, right? And all of a sudden, there's 10 lepers, and they're screaming, Lord, have mercy on us. Give us what we don't deserve. And remember what Jesus said? Hey, go show yourselves to the priests. What? You ever thought about that? What, what's the deal with that? Can you imagine all these lepers filing back into Jerusalem, back to church? Because it was the priest that diagnosed them and sent them off to leper colonies. Stay away from everybody. And now you've got this whole swarm, this whole herd of cleansed lepers coming back to Jerusalem. And what are the priests saying? Dude, aren't you Jim Bob Johnson? I diagnosed you 15 years ago. 
what happened? Well, this guy named Jesus. And then leper number two and three. What happened to you? Jesus, 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 what happened to you? Right? There's a testimony to the priest. But these ten lepers, Jesus says, take off. Go see the priest. And they start cruising. And all of a sudden, and you guys know with leprosy, your nose starts falling off. Your extremities start falling off. Your skin gets gnarly. You stink. And all of a sudden, they're walking and they're looking at one another. And it's snap, crackle, pop. <laughs> skin like fountain of youth cream stuff. Skin. Jim oh. Bob, you're looking pretty good, man. Wow. And that hair is so thick and luxurious. That's what's happened. Their hair's coming back. I mean, you got to imagine the scene. And nine of them just keep cruising, and one comes back to Jesus. Remember that? And he falls at Jesus' feet, praising God. Thank you. And what did the Lord say? Weren't there ten cleansed? Where's the other nine? Was there just, just you? The Samaritan, by the way. Was it just you that came back? Man, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Listen, I don't want to be one out of ten in my thanks. I want to be ten out of ten. Lord, thank you. To recognize his hand, his work in my life, in your life. It is a beautiful thing to give thanks and praise. One more verse. we got time. Let's do it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So what are you telling me? Our life's to be a musical? Absolutely. It is. Let continually, habitually, progressively, let the word of Christ, God's word, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me, let it, what does it mean to dwell? To reside, to inhabit, to stay put, to find a home. God's word finding a home in your heart continually. What does richly mean? If you're, if you're someone that does something richly, what does that mean? Abundant. Big time. Lots. Right? If you sow sparingly, you're planting seeds sparingly, just a little, what will you reap? Sparingly. If you sow bountifully or richly, you will reap what? Not hard, bountifully, abundantly, much. That's what he's saying. Now, don't be a miser, and then when you do, you will have enough to give away. The parallel text, if you're taking notes, Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, parallel text of this. You guys know this verse, verses? Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, which is a waste, but be filled continually, habitually with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of 
God. And so to be filled with the Spirit is another way of saying being filled with the Word of Christ or allowing the Word of Christ to dwell in us. In other words, we're taking what Jesus says from his, we're taking what the Word of God says and allowing it to soak in us, to soak into our hearts and into our minds. Listen, getting drunk is an artificial, chemical way to deal with what's wrong, to deal with pain, to deal with stress, pressure, soothe pain, find peace, find satisfaction. Listen, um, or you can allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. Allow the Word of God to soak into you richly. It doesn't leave you hungover. It won't damage all your relationships. You won't say stupid stuff with complete frequency. You won't find yourself with pain the next day wondering how in the world you got that pain. But what will you find when you allow the Word of God to soak into you? You find out that it heals you, it changes you, it transforms you, it does satisfy you, it does bring peace into your life, and rather than your life being dissipation or a waste, your life is filled with wisdom. Because look what it said in that verse, look what it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. Right? We get knowledge from the Word of God, and then we put it into practice rightly. That's wisdom. Listen, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in fruit salad. Does that help you guys out a little bit? Okay. The Lord's solution for problem solving is also another idea. What, what begins to happen? You, you get into the Word of God, you allow it to get into you, you start to make right choices, good decisions. And you look at your life and you're saying, wow, look what the Lord has done. I'm just doing the things He tells me to. He's helping me with the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. And my life is changing and life is starting to work for me now. Rather than it being all jacked up, ruining myself and ruining others, man, I am starting to grow in things that truly matter. And what begins to happen? What's coming out of you is healthy. What's coming out of you honors God. You begin to teach others. Teach means simply to instruct others. Teaching one another and admonishing one another. Admonishment means to warn or to correct with instruction, but it also means to counsel. You begin to counsel one another. You know what that means? We don't need to farm people out to psychologists and psychiatrists. It means you and I are equipped to do it with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to counsel one another unto godliness, unto Christ-likeness. It's Christ-centered discipleship. And so something we are all called to do, one another, there's connection. And this is how the body's to function, teaching one another, admonishing one another, singing with one another, worshiping together with grace in our hearts. Aren't you grateful for God's grace? Singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Can I just ask you a question? Does the Lord still hear the melody in your heart? There's no amens. That's good. You're giving a minute to think. First service, everybody's like, amen, brother, hallelujah. A little more charismatic first group. But, but seriously, does the Lord still hear the melody in your heart? 
in your home, in your car, in your relationships. You guys remember Martha and Mary? You guys remember Martha and Mary? Such a great story, isn't it? Jesus comes up, Jesus is visiting. Disciples are coming over for dinner or lunch or whatever, having a meal. And it says that Mary, where's Mary at? The feet of Jesus, right? It wasn't that Martha never spent time there, because the word also, you go back and look at it. It just, at this time, she was so consumed with do, 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 serve, 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 get this done, so busy, so consumed, it's got to be just right, it's got to be just perfect, right? Jesus is coming over. I think he would have been happy with double cheeseburgers. Well, that's not kosher, Mike, according to man's commandments. Some of you will get that later, it's okay, or understand it later. So Mary's there, can you imagine that Bible study, how good that Bible study was? She's sitting there, and, and what is she doing? She's allowing the words of Jesus to do what? To dwell. Isn't that what we just read? Let it, let it reside in your heart. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets interrupted. Boom! Out through the doors of the kitchen. Here comes Martha. Correct? Hands on hips, apron swinging. Lord! <laughs> she's, she's tweaked. Lord, Lord, don't you care? I mean, you know you're off when you start to accuse the Lord of him caring. But then what does he say? You remember what he says? Tell my sister to get in there. You, listen, you know you're way off if you're telling the Lord what to do. You know what I'm saying? But don't, doesn't that happen to us? We haven't been spending quality time with Jesus at his feet, allowing his word to find a deep, rich place in us. Oh, we're so consumed, so busy, right? And we're accusing the Lord of not, don't you care? Don't you see what's going on? Don't you see how people are treating me? Don't you see what happened there? Don't you see? Lord, you need to do something about this. You need to fix that. You need to, and the fixing, you know when the fixing needs to happen? Right here in my own heart. God, help me. And isn't Jesus so, isn't he so awesome? Remember what he said? Martha, Martha, get back in the kitchen now. No, he didn't say that. So I get some attention from some of you, finally. He didn't say that. That's not our Lord. I just want to make sure you guys are still with me. Get your attention this morning. He didn't say that. Martha, Martha. You're worried and you're troubled. Literally, you're pulled in all these different directions. All these concerns, you're pulled in all these directions. But one thing, one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that part. It's a choice we make every day. It's a choice. It's the one part, it's the one thing. It's interesting, do a little study on that, the one thing. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, one thing you're lacking, one thing. Paul said, the one thing I do, I forget the things that are behind and I press on. 
one thing. The one thing that was necessary was to be at the feet of Jesus. To spend time in connection with him. And Jesus said that place will not be taken away from her. Because why? Jesus protects that place. That's blood-bought. Listen, this morning, that is blood-bought real estate for you and me at the feet of Jesus. To be there every morning, every night, whatever it is for you, whatever works for you, to have quality time with Jesus. So that the one thing gets put back in place. Because then what happens when the one thing is put back in place? You're filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the Word. And it's like, you know what? I'm just going to show grace here. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to love. I'm going to thank you, Lord. I just got cut off in traffic. Thank you, Lord. Not there yet. That's not a personal example. Well, it is. But, but you're just thankful and you're grateful. And what begins to happen? The Lord hears the melody in your heart once again. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much.